Welcome to Sitting with Sal. Today is July 4th, 2019, and this is episode 11 of the podcast. Um, like I said, today is July 4th. It is actually America's 243rd birthday. Um, so, 243 years ago, our rebel forefathers signed a document declaring our independence from the monarch of Britain. Um, so, in honor of this day, I'm not really going to have any housekeeping or anything like that. I'm just going to kind of get straight into the episode, um, talk about what the 4th of July is, how we should be celebrating it, and which, what, I'm sorry, what we should be remembering on the 4th of July. So, let's kind of get into it. So, in 1776, after the document was signed, um, John Adams was so confident that this day was going to be remembered for pretty much forever in history that he actually wrote a letter to his wife, Abigail, in July of 1776, explaining what he thinks um, the 4th of, Fourth of July is going to be um, the years to come. So I'm going to read that letter for you, John Adams to Abigail, July 1776. He says, I'm apt to believe that this will be celebrated by seceding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized by pomp and parade in shoes and games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of the continent to the other from this time forevermore. He actually continues to say, You will think me transported with enthusiasm, but I am not. I am well aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost the U.S. to maintain this declaration and support and defend these states. Yet through all the gloom, I can see rays of ravishing light and glory. I can see that the end is more than the worth of all the means, and that posterity will triumph in that days of transaction, even although we, shall, we should rue it, which I trust in God we shall not. So, he basically predicted how we were going to be celebrating 4th of July for the next 240 years with fireworks, bonfires, gunfire, cannons, bells, um, pretty much called it. He calls them illuminations, but I'm pretty sure that's fireworks. Um, um, and then he also talks about how, about how serious it is that he is actually signing this document and talking about all the trouble that the country is going to have to go through to maintain this declaration. But the celebrations actually started as early as 1777, the very next year. Um, in Philadelphia, they actually held one of the largest Independence Day festivities um, for the country's first fourth. Uh, the Congress feasted on official dinner, gave toast. They actually had 13 gun salutes and 13 cannon salutes. Um, Americans also celebrated with speeches. Um, basically, 1777 Philadelphia was the precedent for how how the 4th was going to be celebrated for the years to come. So, um, when we actually get into uh, 1778, George Washington gave all of his troops a double ration of rum and ordered a cannon salute to mark the occasion. Um, and I'm sure, pretty sure that there was actually a lot more gunfire going off that day than, than normal. So um, they were pretty much 
celebrating the same way we do today, drinking and gunfire and, and fireworks. So uh, celebration practices spread from the 1770s to the 1860s. Most towns uh, be actually began the day with artillery fire at dawn um, if they had cannons. If they didn't, um, local men would get up and fire off their muskets in, in the morning to um, kind of announce Independence Day. Um, then people started getting fireworks and parade around the public, um, having parades and gatherings. Um, in the early days, it was actually, they would have like speeches from lawyers and priests and like town officials in their town halls. It would actually kind of be more like a church service commemorating the, the, their independence day and their independence from Britain. Um, so, but now I don't really think we have too many of those speeches. I believe the president should be given a speech on 4th of July. If he's not, he should be. Um, at lunchtime during, during that time period, the women would go home, make supper, and the men would go off to the bar and drink for hours. Um, there was actually a designated toastmaster, and he would give what was called the 13 toasts, with the th first toast always going to the United States, and normally the second toast would go to George Washington. Um, and then finally the last toast went to all the ladies, and then there would be impromptu toast from all the men around the pubs and bars, so um, basically good time drinking, having fun, um, celebrating the 4th. Um, and keep in mind, during that time, the Revolutionary War was actually still going on, so they were all having a good time on the 4th, even though there was still a war going on. So, And there's actually some, some more um, history on the 4th, too, a little, couple little fun facts. Well, I guess, yeah, I guess they're kind of fun facts. Um, three United States presidents have actually died on the 4th of July. Two of them, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, were actually really good friends, Um and they, they were actually, like, basically pen pals for the longest time. They died on July 4th in 1826 within, within a couple hours of each other, I believe. So, two of the founding fathers who actually helped make and sign the Declaration of Independence died on, on the 4th um, years later. So, I think that has some sort of significance. Um, and then five years later, James Monroe died, um, another founding father. Um, he died on July 4th, 1831. So a couple people, um, born and, and died on, uh, there was actually, I can't remember. I think Calvin Coolidge was actually born on 4th of July. Um, I don't really know too much about him, but, um, I think it's pretty interesting that some of the founding fathers to help create and, and sign the Declaration of Independence actually died on the 4th. I think that's pretty significant. Um, and a good fun fact that I think pretty much most people, most Americans should know. So, um, But like I said, I don't want this episode to be just talking about how we celebrate the 4th of July, because everybody knows how we celebrate the 4th of July. We all have fireworks, we all go to barbecues, we get drunk, um, we... Um, we basically just have a good time, but I really want you guys to remember what it what it truly means to be an American and what it truly means to celebrate the 4th of July. Um, I'm going to tell you a little story about a soldier from, um, I'm sorry, I bumped the mic. I'm going to tell you a little story about these a soldier from, from World War One who really knew what it meant to be American. Um, in 1917, a barber named Martin Treptow from a small Cherokee, Iowa, um, 
He enlisted in the army, and by December 1917, his regiment was sent off to France to fight the trenches of the Western Front. In 1918, a message needed to be delivered during an intense battle against the Germans. Um, Treptow took the message and delivered it to his platoon leader, exposing himself to enemy, exposing himself to enemy fire. He was killed by a German machine gun. His diary was discovered with his personal belongings. Treptow actually wrote the following message under his diary, or in his diary under a title called My Pledge. He wrote, America must win this war. Therefore, I will work, I will save, I will sacrifice, I will endure, I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost, as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. Treptow was a true hero, he was a true patriot, and he really knew what it meant to be an American, and he sacrificed himself to protect our country. So guys, don't forget about all the men and women and those who have sacrificed themselves to protect and maintain your freedom you have today. Remember what it means to be an American. With all that being said, like I said, this was going to be a short episode, but I don't want to leave you hanging too, too much. Um, I'm going to sign off with an audio clip of uh, President Ronald Reagan's speech in on July 4th in 1986 in front of the Statue of Liberty. I believe that it's a speech every American should hear. Um, so I'm going to sign off. I want you guys to listen to it, pay attention to what he says, um, and with all that being said, remember history, prepare for the future, live in the present, and have a good 4th of July. My fellow Americans, in a few moments, the celebration will begin here in New York Harbor. It's going to be quite a show. I was just looking over the preparations and thinking about a saying that we had back in Hollywood about never doing a scene with kids or animals, but they'd steal the scene every time. So you can rest assured, I wouldn't even think about trying to compete with a fireworks display, especially on the 4th of July. My remarks tonight will be brief, but it's worth remembering that all the celebration of this day is rooted in history. It's recorded that shortly after the Declaration of Independence was signed in Philadelphia, celebrations took place throughout the land, and many of the former colonists, they were just starting to call themselves Americans, set off cannons and marched in fife and drum parades. What a contrast with the sober scene that has taken place a short time earlier in Independence Hall. 56 men came forward to sign the parchment. It was noted at the time that they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honors. That was more than rhetoric. Each of those men knew the penalty for high treason to the crown. We must all hang together, Benjamin Franklin said, or assuredly we will all hang separately. And John Hancock, it is said, wrote his signature in large script so King George could see it without his spectacles. They were brave. They stayed brave through all the bloodshed of the coming years. Their courage created a nation built on a universal claim to human dignity on the proposition that every man, woman, and child had a right to a future of freedom. For just a moment, let us listen to the words again. 
We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Last night, when we re rededicated Miss Liberty and relit her torch, we reflected on all the millions who came here in search of the dream of freedom, inaugurated in Independence Hall. We reflected, too, on their courage in coming great distances and settling in a foreign land and then passing on to their children and their children's children. The hope symbolized in this statue here just behind us, the hope that is America. It is a hope that someday every people and every nation of the world will know the blessings of liberty. And it's the hope of millions all around the world. In the last few years, I've spoken at Westminster to the Mother of Parliaments, at Versailles, where French kings and world leaders have made war and peace. I've been to the Vatican in Rome, the Imperial Palace in Japan, and the ancient city of Beijing. I've seen the beaches of Normandy and stood again with those boys of Point de Hope, who long ago scaled the heights, and with at that time, Lisa Zanetta Hen, who was at Omaha Beach for the father she loved. The father who had once dreamed of seeing again the place where he and so many brave others had landed on D-Day. But he had died before he could make that trip. And she made it for him. And Dad, she'd said, I'll always be proud. And I've seen the successors to these brave men young Americans in uniform all over the world. Young Americans like you here tonight, man the mighty USS Kennedy and the Iowa and the other ships of the line. I can assure you, you out there who are listening, that these, these young people are like their fathers and their grandfathers, just as willing, just as brave, and we can be just as proud. But our prayer tonight is that the call for their courage will never come. And that it's important for us, too, to be brave. Not so much the bravery of the battlefield. I mean the bravery of brotherhood. All through our history, our presidents and leaders have spoken of national unity and warned us that the real obstacle to moving forward the boundaries of freedom, the only permanent danger to the hope that is America, comes from within. It's easy enough to dismiss this as a kind of familiar exhortation. Yet the truth is that even two of our greatest founding fathers, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, once learned this lesson late in life. They worked so closely together in Philadelphia for independence. But once that was gained and a government was formed, something called partisan politics began to get in the way. After a bitter and divisive campaign, Jefferson defeated Adams for the presidency in 1800. And the night before Jefferson's inauguration, Adams slipped away to Boston, disappointed, brokenhearted, and bitter. For years, their estrangement lasted. But then, when both had retired, Jefferson at 68 to Monticello, and Adams at 76 to Quincy, they began through their letters to speak again to each other. Letters that discussed almost every conceivable subject, gardening, horseback riding, even sneezing as a cure for hiccups. 
but other subjects as well. The loss of loved ones, the mystery of grief and sorrow, the importance of religion, and of course, the last thoughts, the final hopes of two old men, two great patriarchs for the country that they had helped to found and loved so deeply. It carries me back, Jefferson wrote, about correspondence with his co-signer of the Declaration of Independence, to the times when, beset with difficulties and dangers, we were fellow laborers in the same cause, struggling for what is most valuable to man, his right to self-government, laboring always at the same oar, with some wave ever ahead threatening to overwhelm us and yet passing harmless, we rode through the storm with heart and hand. It was their last gift to us, this lesson in brotherhood, in tolerance for each other, this insight into America's strength as a nation. And when both died on the same day, within hours of each other, that date was July 4th, 50 years exactly after that first gift to us, the Declaration of Independence. My fellow Americans, it falls to us to keep faith with them and all the great Americans of our past. Believe me, if there's one impression I carry with me after the privilege of holding for five and a half years the office held by Adams, Jefferson, and Lincoln, it is this, that the things that unite us, America's past of which we're so proud, our hopes and aspirations for the future of the world and it, this much-loved country, these things far outweigh what little divides us. So tonight, we reaffirm that Jew and Gentile, we are one nation under God. The black and white, we are one nation indivisible. That Republican and Democrat, we are all Americans. Tonight, with heart and hand, through whatever trial and travail, we pledge ourselves to each other and to the cause of human freedom, a cause that has given light to this land and hope to the world. My fellow Americans, we're known around the world as a confident and a happy people. Tonight, there's much to celebrate and many blessings to be grateful for. So while it's good to talk about serious things, it's just as important and just as American to have some fun. Now, let's have some fun. Let the celebration begin.